Today we celebrate this feast, Jesus Christ, King of the universe, and it was fairly recently instituted by Pope Pius XI on December 11th, 1925. And the reason that he did that was because what he saw at the time was that the secular mindset, a secular worldview was becoming increasingly prevalent even among Christians. That more and more Christians were beginning to see the world and judge the world just as the world does. And they were losing their Christian mindset, their biblical mindset, almost like this sleeping gas that we breathe in and it begins to make us just see this world for all there is. Just see this world, what we can see, what we can touch, that's all there is. And so he instituted this feast, Jesus Christ, King of the Universe, and it's in an attempt to wake us out of that stupor and to regain our Christian worldview, our biblical worldview. In the past few decades, there's been a lot that's been written on this topic of worldview. I don't know if you ever used that program, Ngram, by Google, but you can see when a word is, when it's begun, when it begins to be used in different books, and you can see the number of times that it's used in different books that are published. And you see that around 1980 is when all of a sudden there's this sharp increase and this word worldview is thrown around a lot. There's been a lot of ink spilled on it. And there are a lot of differing opinions, a lot of different things that are said about what a worldview, to, what a worldview is. But there are two things that everybody agrees upon. Two things. Number one, that every single person has a worldview. Everybody has a worldview whether that be implicit or explicit. And secondly, that that worldview deeply impacts the way that we live. Why is this? Why is this that necessarily everyone has a worldview and why is it that that impacts our lives so much? It's because of this. The world that we live in, everybody recognizes that it's out of whack, that things aren't quite right Things aren't quite right within us when we are truly honest, when we look within us. There are things that we do, there are things that we say that we later on regret. We say, why did I do that? Why did I say that? We recognize that things aren't quite right. They're off balance within us. But also in the world around us, that things aren't quite right among us. There's poverty, there's war, there's strife, anger, there's depression, sadness, we see that things are out of balance. And so what do we do? We seek to develop some sort of story, some sort of narrative, meta-narrative, that will explain why things are the way that they are. And this is where worldview comes in. One author defines the words, this word worldview as the comprehensive perspective from which we interpret all of reality the comprehensive perspective from which we interpret all of reality. It determines how we understand and live life itself. So our worldview is this master narrative, and it's mainly about three things. Number one, what human life should be like. Number two, what has knocked it off balance? Why are things out of balance? And what can be done to make it right? Every worldview that's worth something, seeks to respond to these, these three fundamental questions. 
And what we see in the course of history is that these worldviews are enormously powerful. That there are worldviews that have not just shaped individuals' lives, but there are worldviews that have shaped entire societies, entire generations. Think of Marxism, for example, one example of a worldview. Its fundamental thesis is that the root of all of our problems, what has knocked everything out of balance, are unjust economic systems. And if we could just get that right, that balance would be restored. But of course, we didn't see that it worked. That didn't restore that balance. Another one, Freud, he believed that our number one enemy as human beings was the repression of desires for pleasure. If we would just liberate those desires for pleasure, let them run, let them be, then things would be put back into order. But that didn't work either. Another one, one last one, Jean-Paul Sartre, very important French philosopher. He believed that the answer was complete, unrestrained freedom. That the big problem is any sort of restraints on our freedom we need to liberate ourselves of those restraints on our freedom so that we can achieve completely unrestrained freedom. Now, you may hear this, we may hear this, and it may sound a little bit radical. How could anybody really think that or live according to that? But it's interesting when we look at society around us, how these different ideas have deeply impacted our society. Think just for a second of how our society today is gripped by the idolization of our freedom, our, our idolization of our freedom to be and to do whatever we want, as long as it feels good or right. But here's the big problem. If we get that worldview wrong, it has major consequences. We get a lot of other things wrong as well. Because if we get that worldview wrong, we will be demonizing something that is not the real root of our problems. And we'll be idolizing something that isn't the true solution, that has big consequences on our lives. But here's the good news. We don't have to figure it all out on our own. God has come to reveal to us the true worldview, the real worldview, his worldview. Because God's worldview is the only true worldview. St. John Henry Newman, he puts this beautifully, and I'd like to share this passage with you. This is what he writes about this. He says, there are 10,000 ways of looking at this world, but only one right way. The man of pleasure has his way, the man of gain his, and the man of intellect his, poor men and rich men, governors and governed, prosperous and discontented, learned and unlearned, each has his own way of looking at the things which come before him, and each has a wrong way. There is but one right way. It is the way in which God looks at the world. Aim at looking at it in God's way. Aim at seeing things as God sees them. Aim at forming judgments about persons, events, ranks, fortunes, changes, objects, such as God forms. Aim at looking at this life as God looks at it. Aim at looking at the life to come and the world unseen as God does. Aim at seeing the king in his beauty. All things that we see are but shadows to us and delusions 
unless we enter into what they really mean. God is the only one who sees the world for what it really is. There's a Chinese proverb, it goes like this. If you want to know what water is like, don't ask the fish. That's what it says. If you want to know what water is like, don't ask the fish. Why? Because they're immersed in it. They don't know anything else. We are immersed in this world, but God is not just one more thing in this world. God created this world. He knows this world through and through. He's outside. He looks upon it, and he knows it for what it really is, and he can show us it for what it really is. And this Advent, this is precisely what we want to do, to be able to regain our Christian worldview, the biblical worldview, God's worldview, to see our story and to see ourselves as we truly are. To see how the Christian narrative is the only one, the only one that can respond to these burning questions that all of us have. What should life really be like? What is it that knocked things out of balance? What is the solution that can make things right in our lives and in this world? In Romans, in the letter to the Romans, St. Paul, he writes this. He says, the gospel is the power of God. And the word that he uses for power, it's dunamis. That's the Greek word that he uses. And this is significant because this word dunamis, it's the word from which we get the word dynamite. Dynamite. What he's saying is that when you really enter into the gospel, when you understand it, when you're able to unleash its power, it's like dynamite. It has the capability of blowing you away by the power and the beauty of the gospel. St. John Paul II, he wrote along similar lines one time, saying that the result of the initial proclamation of the gospel should be that a person is one day overwhelmed and brought to the decision to entrust himself to Jesus Christ by faith. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been overwhelmed by the gospel? Have you ever been overwhelmed by the beauty of the gospel, that gospel message, well, that's what we want to ask for in this Advent season. That's what our whole preaching series is going to be on. How are we going to do it? We're going to break down the core message of the gospel, the core proclamation of the gospel that's sometimes called the kerygma, and we're going to break it down into four parts, created, captured, rescued, and glorified. And each week, we're going to deepen in one of these aspects, these core aspects of the kerygma. And we see all of these four, they're brought together in a very dynamic way in the second reading that we just heard from St. Paul when he's writing to the Colossians. He says, for in him were created all things in heaven and on earth. All things were created through him and for him. What's he saying? He's saying that everything and every single one of us we were all created. We weren't just, we, uh, we're not just the effect of some random collision and we appeared on the scene all of a sudden and we just do our best to figure out what this life is all about. No, we were thought of, we were loved into existence by God, created for this moment in history, created for a reason and created for fellowship with God. 
But something happened. We were captured. We were captured. There's an enemy. St. Paul speaks of the power of darkness and the sin that separates us from God. There was an enemy that deceived us and led us astray, led us away from God to break that friendship with God, to lose that fellowship with God. But God loved us too much to leave us right there. He came to rescue us. He came to redeem us. What St. Paul writes there is that he redeemed us and he reconciled us to himself through his blood that he shed on the cross. And lastly, he glorified us. Christ is the head of the body, the firstborn from the dead, St. Paul writes. What does he mean by that? He means that Jesus Christ conquered sin and death. He rose from the dead, and he wants to do the same thing in our lives. He wants to give us power over sin and over death, and he wants to give us new life, life in abundance. Over these next four weeks, we're going to be deepening in these four different aspects of this Christian worldview. We're going to be shaking off the other worldviews that sometimes cling to us so that we can cling to the truth that Jesus Christ has come to reveal to us so that when Christmas comes, when that Christmas day comes, we can receive Jesus Christ on that day with wonder and awe for what he's done for us and who is before us. Just like those people, the first people to be with Christ on that first Christmas day 2,000 years ago.